0: We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia we'll be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day Even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor, having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrims' pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. From the freedom ring, from the mighty mountains of New York, Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city.
1: everybody. Fourth and fifth graders, you can go to your class now at this time. Fourth and fifth graders, you can go to your class. There's power in a dream, isn't there? I'm just watching that this week for me. There was just power in a dream, and it reminds me that when there is a prophetic vision, a God-given dream, it can call people into realities they didn't know existed. There's a picture of what can be. There can be a power in A prophetic dream, I mean not just any dream, we all have dreams at times. I mean there's the dream induced by the burrito we ate last night, but there's a different kind of a dream, a prophetic God-given dream that calls into reality things that are not and it's so powerful that it calls deep down to what's inside of us to advance us to another place. It's power to convict and to captivate by way of vision that it allows us to dream something we did not know was possible and to work towards that end and then it to sacrifice, and to invest, and to give effort, and even at times to die for such a dream. In 2,000 years before Martin Luther King, there was another man who walked on the face of the earth. He was born into a poor Jewish family that along with other Jewish families in his time and day lived in a state of oppression. They were a people under occupation, and it had been that way for hundreds of years. They knew that they were a people who were not free. They were not truly independent. They had always been under the thumbs of a conquering entity. And it began with the Assyrians. And when they left, the Babylonians took over. And when they left, the Persians showed up. And for hundreds of years, their hearts cried out for freedom. And then when the Persians left, the Greeks showed up. And after the Greeks, the Romans. And it was in that day that another man, 2,000 years ago, born into a poor Jewish family, stood up and had a dream and in his day and age, he knew what it was like to be persecuted. He knew what it was like to not live in independence and freedom. He and his family and those around him and his community knew what it was felt like to suffer injustice at the hands of a majority that ruled in a way that was less than benevolent. And he knew what it was like to feel like everyone else was, ha- was holding all the cards of power. And then you throw on top of that the reality of life in general, just besides just being under oppression, just life in general as it throws at you things that you didn't ask for like sickness and disease and poverty, the struggles of consequences and effects of sin, our own sin, other people's sins, and it could very easily turn even the most optimistic of personalities into a state of depression. You could have looked around at the political and the social conditions and the day in which they found themselves, and they would probably say out loud, even if it was underneath their breath to God, Why? And how long? And when? But 2,000 years ago, this man who walked in the clothing and the language and in the culture of his time, he was a Jew from Galilee who was not without his own story and without his own history, and he knew that he belonged to a people with a story and with a history, and they would tell it often. Their history went back at least 1,500 years about a God who through grace and mercy chose one of their forefathers named Abraham and through no effort on Abraham's part, it was a God who said, I'm going to choose you and your family and your descendants who will end up being a large tribe and then eventually be a large nation that will call Israel and out of that will come kings and so their stories include kings like David, And Solomon in a kingdom where they were secure and had peace and they were under the dominion of nobody they were truly free and truly independent and they recall their stories but as it continues on they know that in their story there is a story of disobedience and because of that They lose the security and peace of their kingdom and they fall into the hands of these occupying forces, the Assyrians in 722 BC, the Babylonians in 586 BC, but all along the way in God's mercy, he kept sending to his people prophets that began to say, there is a day coming. That in the midst of their despair, in the midst of their struggle, he kept sending prophet after prophet who would say to them, there's a day coming that they would refer to as the great day of the Lord when God will finally show up on the face of the earth and fix what has gone wrong and do something. It would be, again, the language of kingdom, the place where the rule of God would once again be made manifest. And so this downtrodden people would year after year long for, pray for, and expect and desire for the coming of God's kingdom. And they even had their favorite passages in the Old Testament to which to read about this day, this great day of the Lord, this day when God would do something, when He would appear, when He would show up. They would dream of a time when they would be free, Israel would be restored, and peace would reign. And one day, a 30-year-old Jewish man who worked as a carpenter with his hands in construction work, a man who probably grew up in a small Galilean hick town called Galilee, Shows up to his hometown synagogue, and he's handed a scroll, and he's handed the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, which is in your Old Testament, and which the people of God have been reading for hundreds of years before the days of Jesus, and it says that he rolls open the scroll. This is what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and this is what he began to read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And you can imagine right now all those who are listening to Jesus read out of Isaiah and they watched Jesus grow up. He used to be baby Jesus. Now he's 30-year-old man, Jesus. And they're listening to him read from the scroll of Isaiah and their hearts are, are beating faster. And there's, uh, it's pitter-pattering because this is one of those passages that forward to that time when God would finally do something and rescue his people. He would go on and say, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of jubilee. It goes back to the book of Leviticus, this time where God puts into place that everything will be restored. Everything will go back to if you've lost anything because of servitude, if you've lost anything because of indebtedness, if you had to sell property to get by, there's a year of the jubilee where everything gets to go back to their rightful owners and everyone gets to be free and all debts are canceled, and Jesus stands up, and he reads from Isaiah that a day is coming that it will feel like to the people of God, the year of Jubilee. And he finishes reading the scroll, and you can just imagine. People have smiled from ear to ear. Oh, we love that passage. We're so glad that Jesus chose to open and read that passage. And it says in verse 20, he rolled it back up, and he gave it to the attendant, and he sat down. And everyone was watching him. Everybody was amazed, and everyone's eyes were on him. And they in the synagogue, and this is what he said. Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This thing that they've been waiting for and expecting for hundreds of years, Jesus reads and hands it back and says to his hometown synagogue, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And do you know what the people in the synagogue did? Say, What? <laughs> If you could go back to that old school the records and that little scratching mark that goes on the record, that's what they heard in the background, that screeching sound of, did Jesus just say what we thought? And in the moment that they were like, oh, what a wonderful passage, at the exact same moment they took offense, because what Jesus was saying is, this is the day when God is going to break in and fix whatever went wrong. He's going to restore Israel. He's about to do something new on the face of the earth, and in it, Jesus has a dream. He has a prophetic vision of what life looks like on the earth when God has his way. It is a prophetic vision, it's a dream, and in the dream, Jesus uses the language of kingdom. And so Jesus, his central theme, his central topic, what he talks about more than anything else, bar nothing, what he talks about more than anything else is this dream of the kingdom of God. And because we're good Americans, we don't use the language of kingdom, right? We don't have a king, we don't have a queen, we don't talk about the sovereign, we're not subjects, we got a president, we can make fun of them, I mean, we get where we are, So I want to, just for a moment, because you'll notice when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, He never, ever defines for His audience the language of kingdom. And you know why? Because they got it. They totally understood. So if I could, for just a moment, define for us the language of kingdom, kingdom at least as I think Jesus means it. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, I think He means this, the reign and rule of God. In short, what God wants to happen, happens. That's the kingdom of God. It is the re- it's the place where God reigns and where He rules that what He wants to happen, happens. And we might understand this on a more personal level because we all have spaces in our life where this makes total sense to us. There are spaces in our life where we have dominion. Now, men, before you got married, you had a larger space, and then after marriage, there's a smaller space, but there's still... I'm just kidding, kind of. But there's still a space where you have dominion. Where you have the rights to reign and rule, and what you want to happen happens. For example, if you were to walk into my office back here, it would be a manifestation of the kingdom of Sam. <laughs> Welcome to my kingdom. <laughs> it's not very impressive, but I mean, you're welcome to it. It would be a manifestation of my reign and rule. What is in my office is what I want in my office. You know how it's decorated? How I want it to be decorated. You know what's organized on the, on the desk? And, or, or, how I want it to be, and it reflects things about me and my personality and my OCD and my type A, and I've got Braveheart on the wall. Those are all manifestations of the kingdom of Sam. And you understand that because you have them as well. If I were to go into your home in its layout and its decor, maybe in its design, I would get a reflection of you and your personality and the things that you like. It would be a demonstration of your reign and rule. For you ladies, you understand your purse is a manifestation of your kingdom, isn't it? It is a place of your reign and rule. Because when somebody tries to meddle in your purse, what happens? Woo, somebody's hand's going to get cut off because you do not mess with the ladies' purses. It is the manifestation of their reign and rule. If you go into my kids' bedrooms, you'll see a manifestation of their little kingdoms. I didn't. If it's up to me, my little eight-year-old girl will not have the Jonas Brothers on her wall, and who's that guy from Twilight? Pfft. That shouldn't be on her wall, but it's a manifestation of her little kingdom right there, my little eight-year-old girl. It could be for you, your basement, maybe you get the garage. maybe it's a shed in the backyard. That's the manifestation. It could be your car, but you understand there are places where what you want to happen happens. That's what the kingdom of God is. It is the space where what God wants to happen, happens. And that should lead us to ask the question, whoa, wait a minute, if God is God then shouldn't anything that God wants to happen be, in fact, what happens? I mean, how could there be something that happens that isn't what God wants to happen? And this has been argued for 2,000 years, but what I would say is simply this. No, for whatever reason, in our time and place, God still allows other kingdoms to take place. He still allows other reigns and rules. He allows the kingdom of Sam to exist, and He allows your kingdom to exist. And in that, what we see is there are other kingdoms, and there are other reigns and rules. Because what has made God's kingdom so unique from all other kingdoms and kings is the voluntary nature of his kingdom, at least for now. What that means is God will not force you to live in his kingdom. He will not impose his reign and his rule on you. If you don't want to be in it, he won't make you be in it. He will not force his reign and rule. And in keeping with God's dream of a people created in His image, with all of the dignity of freedom that comes with that to choose, He will at this moment not force His kingdom upon anyone. And you have today the exact same choice as was given to Adam and Eve, however many years ago that was, whether they will live under God's kingdom reign or will they will establish their own independence and their own kingdom and say, no thanks, we'd like to do it our way. And because of that, there are other kingdoms that exist. And that's why we live in a world full of war and strife and division, and pain. It is a collision of kingdoms. But the dream of Jesus is this. The kingdom of God is coming to the face of the earth. The dream of Jesus is this. The great day of the Lord has arrived. God is breaking in. He is doing something about the broken and fractured world. He's putting it back together again. He's going to restore it. He is in the process of reconciling it. He is saving it. He is redeeming it. He is opening the possibility that people can actually get in to his reign and rule. God is beginning a plan that will allow people like me and people like you to live in his kingdom, taste what life could be like when it's lived under his authority, to experience on earth a taste of what it looks like in heaven. Think about that for just a moment. A taste of what heaven is like here on earth. A slice of heaven here on earth. And so lots of people ask for definitions of heaven. And I'm not, you know, the Bible gives us some stories and gives us some metaphors of heaven like streets of gold and, and you know, mansions. And, yeah, you know, I'm all right with that. I think those metaphors probably worked in Jesus' time and place so they couldn't even imagine such a thing. Uh, nowadays, I say, you know, the kingdom of God, the heaven, what heaven's going to be like is Disney World unless it's the middle of the summer and on the really busy seasons, and then it's the definition of hell. But until that happens, if it's an off-peak time, I'm telling you, I think heaven is like Disney World. But what I know is what heaven is ultimately is it is the only place where God's will is the only thing that happens. Where heaven is, where God is, it is in his dwelling, the only thing where no other kingdoms, no other wills, no other reigns. The only thing that can happen in the fullness of God's kingdom in heaven is what God wants to happen. And Jesus comes to the face of the earth and says, I am bringing that with me here. And this is important because churches at times get so fixated on heaven by way of a concept of what happens to us after we die that we totally miss that when Jesus had a dream, it wasn't about what happens to you when you die. And it happens in churches all the time where we sing about heaven and even in our conversations and even when you start talking about evangelism, you go up to people and, hey, uh, if you were to die today, would you know that you're going to heaven or would you know that you're going to hell? And Jesus, uh, I mean, he hardly ever talked about heaven and hell and those concepts because if you're talking to somebody who's trying to figure out how to live life right now that feels like you're in hell, they're not asking the question, what happens to me when I die? And to that, Jesus comes and he has a dream. And so he says to whoever it is at Miami Hills who's struggling to go through life at this very moment with the hell that it feels like they're living in, Jesus comes and says, I have a dream. It is a dream of what life can look like like here on the earth as it's surrendered to the reign and rule of God, that the kingdom of God is breaking in and making everything new, that Jesus's message was never hang on and then someday you'll die and you'll get relief. Jesus's message was no, right now God is doing something here on the earth that Jesus' message was that the kingdom of God has arrived now. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, one of the very first words of his public ministry, Jesus says from that, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus rarely talked about life after death. What he spent most of his time teaching and demonstrating was what life can look like now under God. And we don't want to be a defeated church who can only look forward to this time after death. We want to be a church that recognizes that Jesus has a dream, and it calls for us even now to participate in a reign and rule of His Father. And this is most central to the prayer that Jesus taught us, is it not? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, when He teaches us to pray, after we give praise to the holy name of God, what does Jesus instruct us then? He says we should continue to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, just like it is in heaven. His prayer is not, hold on, everybody. No, his prayer is, whatever it's like in heaven, let it come to the face of the earth. Whatever love is like around the throne room of God, that's what we want to see break out in the earth. Whatever peace is like around the throne room of God, that's what we want here on earth whatever joy looks like, whatever peace looks like, whatever patience looks whatever those things look like around the throne room of God, what Jesus' prayer is is not, hey, hopefully when the things will turn around when we die, but rather, no, no, our prayer is continually that that, that kingdom, that reign, that heaven-like existence, a slice of that comes to the face of the earth so that here and now what God wants to happen, happens. And when you just read through the Gospels at the ministry of Jesus, what do you see? You see manifestations of heaven coming to earth. When you read our stories about Jesus, it wasn't so that Jesus could prove, "Hey, look at that! I'm all my, you know, look at me! I'm the Son of God." I mean, He does these things to prove the kingdom of God is here, now. And so, what happens? Think about the ministry of Jesus. When people are stuck in sin, and I mean serious sin—from adultery to murder—and they encounter Jesus, what does Jesus do? He sets them three free, and he, three. He sets them free, and he offers them forgiveness. When Jesus comes across people who are struggling with demonization, and what I mean by that is people who, because of maybe no fault of their own or because of actions in their past, they've just opened up their life in such a way where it's given Satan a strong foothold in their life, and it's just a tormenting, it's a nagging, it's a lie that just perpetually manifests in your life. It is Demonization is the word for it. Anytime somebody who's struggling to that depth of demonization, every time they encounter Jesus, what happens? They're set free. And Why? Because what God wants to happen is happening. Anytime anyone is uh, blind and they come across the path of Jesus, what happens? They can now see. And do you know why? Because what God wants to happen is now happening in the person of Jesus. It's the dream. It's the dream of God that heaven would break in on the face of the earth. When people are crippled and cannot walk and they encounter Jesus, what happens? They can walk. When people are treated like outcasts, and let me tell you, in the day of Jesus, there were many people who were on the outside of everything, not just political power, but God himself, they felt like they could not. And when they come across Jesus, what they find is grace and mercy and entrance into a relationship with God they did not know was possible. It is a manifestation of what God wants to happen, happens. People who are outside of community all of a sudden get community. People who are weighed down with religiosity and legalism that leads to death when they encounter Jesus, they get to experience life. Anytime somebody is suffering with disease and they encounter Jesus, what happens? They're healed. When people are dead and they encounter Jesus, what happens? Life. These are the signs of the kingdom of God. This is what happens on the face of the earth when God's kingdom advances. And this is the message and experience of God's kingdom reign. And this is what, listen to me, this is what Jesus hands to his disciples. Jesus does not go back to to heaven and say, well, good luck with that. I'll be back in who knows how long, and then we'll straighten everything out. What he gives is to his disciples this message, this good news, this gospel, that the kingdom of God is available now and is advancing, that what God wants to happen is happening on the face of the earth, that a slice of heaven is now possible even on the earth. And he sends them out to proclaim that and to demonstrate the presence of God's kingdom reign and rule. Jesus is taking us back to what God intended all along. And this is important because there's so many questions of pain and suffering and sickness and disease, and my family member who got this disease and died, and I pray, I mean, I get all those questions, and we're headed there in all of our conversations, and I'll answer every last theological question. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was a big promise. I don't know, but we'll talk about it. And listen to me. Jesus is taking us back to what God intended from the very beginning. God never intended for there to be a rift in our relationship to Him. That's not God's intent. It's God, that's not God's design. God intended from the very beginning that there would never be a gap between us. There would never be anything that would separate us from God. There would never be any hostility between us, no sin, no guilt, no shame, no hiding, no fear. Whatever you can imagine by this word, perfect communion, that is what God intended for us from the very beginning. And it is the ministry and the message of Jesus, the dream of Jesus that is coming back to say, I am providing a way for you to have, once again, perfect communion with God. And not only that, did you know that God never intended for us to live in a broken relationship with our spouse? He didn't. And I know these things happen, but that was never God's intent. God's intent from the very beginning is that we would relate to each other as spouse in a way that would be free from the destructive consequences of sin. That was His intent from the beginning. So there would be no divide ever. Ever. No guilt, no shame, no blaming, no hiding. Safe vulnerability. The the language in Genesis is that you right they were naked but felt no shame, which is more than about just hey I'm naked woo you know which great, but there's no shame in that. It's an open vulnerability that God has intended for us from the very beginning. And I think the dream of God is when two people give themselves to the kingdom of God, unto his reign, and to his rule, those possibilities on earth all of a sudden come forth. He never intended from the very beginning that we would live with other people, like our family and friends and co-workers in a way that would have the consequences of selfishness and sin. He intended from the very beginning that when you go to your workplace and when you're sitting at your cubicle or when you're at your your office, things would go so well between you and those who are around you that it would just be considered in some way, if we could use the word, perfect. His intention from the very beginning was that there would be shalom, that there would be peace, that God's intent from the very beginning for us was life and health. God did not create the world and it be a part of His design, the intention that there would be cancer or heart disease or strokes, or paralysis, or blindness, or starvation, or poverty, or addictions, or divorce, or murder, or death. And what you see in the ministry of Jesus is a manifestation of what God wanted to happen from the very beginning. What you see is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. What you see is where His reign and His rule breaks out, all of a sudden, things are transformed and changed. It is the dream of God for his people on earth, and that's what Jesus communicated 2000 years ago, that God has a dream. That what we see around us will not be the end of the be the final say. That what we see, what we're experiencing around us will not have the last word. That God will have the last word. And, and it will be one of peace and shalom and reconciliation and restoration and healing. And that is available even here and now. And thus, the kingdom of God and the ministry of Jesus is advancing. And he calls for an advancing kingdom that brings about revolution and restoration. Listen to me. Living Stones Church, we have been given jurisdiction of a small part of the earth the south side of South Bend, but in it's to proclaim and to pronounce and to demonstrate that even among the 42,500 people who live on the south side of South Bend, what God wants to happen can happen, that the reign and rule of God is available. It's not just a message of hang on and maybe when you'll die we'll get somewhere, but even now God is at work to bring peace and reconciliation and restoration for what he intended all along. And Paul uses the language for us that we become ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is this is our message, that we carry on the dream of God that Jesus gave to us that he's at work doing something he is interested it's interesting that when Jesus announces the presence of the kingdom what he begins for calling us to his action now go back with me for a moment to Matthew 4 and I'll be done here in just a moment Randy could you turn the fans on Are you warm in here that's warm isn't it that's all the preaching I'm doing I can just feel it and I'm spitting and I'm ready to go I'm almost done, but listen, when you go back to Matthew chapter 4 and Jesus begins to announce the kingdom of God, he begins with a very important word. It's an action word. He calls the people to do what? Do you remember what it is? Matthew chapter 4. Do something because the kingdom of God is near. What does he say? Repent. And what is he saying? This will be the necessary element for us to be able to participate in the reign and rule of God that as God's kingdom is advancing, it will mean that we will need to swear our allegiance to that king and to that Lord and to that one who is Messiah. It will mean that my personal kingdom of Sam will have to yield and submit to the kingdom of God. It means that in everything in my life, they'll have to be in repentance, which means if I've given my allegiance and my loyalty to something else, the first word from Jesus is turn and go the other direction towards God. And in repentance, we get to receive what God is doing in his dream of the kingdom of God. It's an action word that means for us, yes, that's right. God won't force it on us. He will not impose it upon us. It will have to be for us to say, I choose you. I say yes to you. I say yes to the dream of God. And so it is to catch a vision of heaven coming to earth and to live it out. That the hope for your merit, listen to me. Here is the hope for your marriage. If it is breaking in pieces, let me tell you, the answer is in repentance. And if two people will repent from selfishness and sin and pursue first the kingdom of God, watch out. If there are other relationships in your workplace that are strained and it's awkward and it's bad, here's the answer, repentance and moving towards the kingdom of God Watch out and see what God does next. I mean, it is always a stepping into the dream of God. The hope for your marriage is to put the kingdom first through repentance. Hope for your finances. And listen, I mean, come on now. We know where we're at. The hope in that is to repent and then to live under the financial ordering of God and then watch out. Hope for your children it's to repent and to lead a home that submits itself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Doesn't Jesus say, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he's talking about food and clothing and being anxious and worried and la, la, la. And this is what he says in verse 33 If you'll just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, what happens next? All these other things will be given to you as well. If you will pursue God first, if you will pursue his kingdom, repent from everything and just pursue God with a crazy recklessness. He will make sure that everything else falls into place. And in it we get to see here and now a little bit of heaven here on earth. I'm telling you, the hope for those little kids at Monroe School is not hang on until death. It is that the kingdom of God is available now for their lives. The hope of people who live in Miami Hills is not hang on until death and then maybe then we'll find No, no. The hope for those in Miami Hills is the kingdom of God, the dream of God is available here and now. People who are on Michigan Street, their hope is not in hang on till death, but that the kingdom reign of God is available here and now through Jesus Christ. And we could go on. The hope of people who live on Don Moyer and Woodside and Oakside and Ekman and Irvington and Fairview and Victoria and all. You hear me, don't you? It's not hang on until death. It's There's a dream of God. And it is a group of people who confess Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords as the rightful Messiah and have submitted themselves to his kingdom. And when that group of people gets a hold on the earth, it will be revolution and reconciliation here and now. And it will begin now and last forever. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that there is power in dreams. And we give you thanks that you have a dream for what life can be like here on the face of the earth. We give you thanks that you sent your one and only son here to the earth to not only proclaim that dream, but to manifest it, to live it out, and to demonstrate it, and to call us into it, and then to give us authority by your Holy Spirit to live out this dream that is your kingdom reign and rule. We submit ourselves to it and ask, and we pray in the same fashion that your son taught us, we pray that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done here in our lives and in this church, just like it is in heaven. For your glory's sake we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing about that.